0: Amen. Lord, that is our desire, that our lives would be a love song to you. You're such a great and an awesome God. We do love you so very much. May we live lives sold out and set apart to your kingdom. May we be unashamed of you, the way that you are willing to suffer and die in our place, Lord. You you died for us. May we live for you. We pray, Lord, for our time in the Word right now, that by your Spirit, you would teach every single heart that's here. Lord, without you we can do nothing, Lord, so I just pray in desperation, Lord, that you would be our teacher, no man but your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we'll be happy to loan you one, and if you don't have one at home, you can absolutely take it home as, as our gift to you. If you do have your Bibles, please turn to Acts 28, and Lord willing, we're going to finish up Acts, Acts this morning, uh, next week, that will, where will we be next week then? Romans chapter 1. You know that's the thing about going to Calvary Chapel. You know where we're headed next, right? We just go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, right through the Bible. I want to encourage you on Wednesday nights, we're in Numbers. Pray about coming out for that. Uh, it's been a great study going through the book of Numbers as well. I do want to make a quick reminder that uh, those of you, if you can't make it, you miss church for some reason, or you're blessed by a message, the tapes in the back are free and will always be free. We don't charge for tapes. How can you charge for God's Word? It's a free gift, Amen. So, help yourself, give them away. Um, If you're not here on a Wednesday and you want to catch up, just grab some tapes. That's what they're there for, all right? All right, Acts 28. Let's take a look again at God's Word. And what an awesome picture we've seen of the work of the Holy Spirit in the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. You know, the thing that's lacking in the church today is that we've got programs and so many things going on that, in a lot of cases, the Holy Spirit has been removed from a lot of churches. It was, it's been said that if in the first century you took the Holy Spirit out of the church, that 95% of what they did would change and everyone would notice. But if you took the Holy Spirit out of the church today, 95% of what we do wouldn't change and not very many people would notice. And my heart would be that here at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, that our passion and our love for God and our love for His Word, and we'd be led by His Spirit, and we wouldn't program the Lord out of church. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Word of God. And that's why we spend so much time in it every single week. And I want to encourage you, you're struggling in your walk with the Lord, as John the Baptist said, Jesus said of John the Baptist, of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. But John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. If you're struggling in your walk, there's too much of you. If I'm struggling in my walk, there's too much of me. Amen? And the only way I can walk in a, in a way that has an impact on the world around me and that glorifies God is when I die and he lives through me. So Acts 28, great study this morning, and I titled it, A One-Track Mind, because that describes the Apostle Paul. As we've been watching over the last few weeks, we've seen that that Paul was a guy that was extremely faithful. He was a guy who didn't only speak of God's truth, but he believed it with his whole heart. He lived it openly without compromise before everybody he came into contact with. You did not have to be around Paul very long to know where he was coming from, amen? Everywhere Paul went, he started a revival or a riot, Everywhere he went, he had a huge impact. You know, isn't that what we should be like today? Shouldn't we be people that people know us for five minutes, ten, or however long they know us, they should know where we're coming from, what the passion of our life is, that we would have one-track minds, and the track wouldn't be our career or the pursuit of, of wealth or the pursuit of possessions, but the pursuit of our Savior, knowing Him better, loving Him, and letting the whole world know how much we love Him. You know what, if anything, I, I, I would say that He was the original Jesus freak, right? He was the ultimate fanatic. You know what a fanatic is? I've told you this before. A fanatic is somebody who you can't change his mind and he won't change the subject, right? And that's what Paul was, man. You could not change that guy's mind and he would not change the subject. And he preached Jesus and you know, and I love his heart because no matter what happened to him, Paul said another opportunity for the gospel, And as we've been watching over the last few weeks, three of my favorite verses in the Bible, and if you are taking notes this morning, you might note these. These are three of my favorite verses in the Bible, and all inspired by the Holy Spirit, but all penned by Paul. The first one is that my favorite verse, my life verse, is Philippians 1.21, where Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that Christ is first in my life, it means He's first... He's 10th, he's 50th, he's 100th, he's every number in between. Jesus Christ is my life. And Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that a one-track mind? That's a one-track mind. He also said in Acts 20-24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify of the gospel of grace. Paul's life, his physical life, meant nothing to him. Eternity meant everything to him. Sadly, we live in a world today where our lives, people's lives mean everything to them, and eternity means nothing to them. And God has called us to be salt and light and to get people's eyes off of the world and get them on the Lord that they may know more about Him. And then lastly, this one-track mind is also summed up in Philippians 3, and I want to encourage you with this. Maybe you've got a past that's pretty rough, but you know what? We're all sinners saved by grace, amen? Amen. And when you are forgiven, your sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. In Philippians chapter 3, it says this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing I do. Does that sound like he's single-minded? Does that sound like he's got one focus, one passion, one heart? absolutely and that's the kind of guy Paul was and I believe in the church today that's the kind of people that we're supposed to be forgetting those things which are behind and too often you know can I encourage you with something pastor Dave's going to get off in a little bit Matt, hey what are you gonna you know you've been here before you know what it's like here's the thing you do not need to go back and revisit all your old sin and deal with it anymore do you know it was dealt with on the cross amen to it is what finished and too often you go on a couch and say, we've got to go back and dig into your past and deal with No, you don't. It's dealt with. We need to press forward. Amen? We need to be pursuing Christ, not hanging on. You need to go back and rebirth. Oh, stop it. You don't need to do that. You've been forgiven. You're a new creation in Christ. You, for you to be single-minded and a person that has that kind of focus, you have to forg- let that stuff go. God's forgiven it. He doesn't remember it, so why should you? Why should you dwell on it, amen? That's the kind of guy that Paul was, and he was a faithful man. He was focused on eternity. And for Paul, these were not just empty words, but he lived it. I want to read one last thing to you before we get into the text. And again, this is a great portion of Scripture. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28, this is talking about Paul's life. Okay? It's one thing to say, Lord, I'm sold out for you. And a lot of people say, I want, to ha- I want to have a life like Paul. But guess what? If you want to be used mightily like Paul, then hold on let me t- describe Paul's life to you. Here's what he says. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and night in the deep I've spent in the deep. In journeys often, perils of waters, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me every single day. Now, how many of you want to have a testimony like Paul? Raise your hand. Right? We want to be used like Paul, but get, then hold on. And too often what happens is, as Christians, we go through trials, and we start getting bummed out at God. It says in James, "Account all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, because trials give us an opportunity to be a testimony to the world around us. So we're going to finish up this morning in the book of Acts. And what we've been seeing so far is we saw Peter in the first half and God, how God used the Holy Spirit to transform his life, to be, go from a guy who was napping to a guy who was praying. To go from a guy who was running away from a little girl to a guy who stood up and spoke boldly the promises of God. A guy who was ineffective in ministry to a guy God used by the power of the Holy Spirit to lead 3,000 people to the Lord in a single day. What happened to Peter? The Holy Spirit's what happened to him. The Apostle Paul, he was persecuting the church. His name was Saul of Tarsus. Holy Spirit got a hold of him. What happened to him? He went from being a guy who was persecuting the the church to being one of the most mighty men of God who ever lived and a guy who God used to to write down much of the Bible. Now we saw that he's been going through trials and much of it has taken place because of his burden for his own people. In Acts 21, he went into the temple. And what happened? They attacked him. In Acts 22, after the mob had attacked him and wanted to kill him, what did he do? He shared his testimony with them. He didn't say, hey, you know what, tough for you guys. You want to attack me, I'm not going to share with you. Instead, he loved him enough to share his faith. He gets to chapter 23, and again, he's been brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious court. They've hit him in the mouth, right? They've beat on him, and what does he do? He shares Jesus with them. No matter what happened in Paul's life, he thought of everything as an opportunity for the gospel. Can I encourage you with something? If you're going through a difficult time right now, May you view it as an opportunity for the gospel. Amen? You know what? It's real easy to be a Christian when you're on the cruise ship to heaven and everything's perfect. Right? When everything's great, there's money in the bank, everybody's healthy, the job's going well, relationships are wonderful, nobody's sick, everything's wonderful. And you know what? It's real easy to be the Christian then, but how do you respond in the times of difficulty? That's where we find out where we're really at with the Lord. God had promised Paul that he would deliver him, and whenever accusations came, whenever things came against him, Paul continued to trust God. He's brought before Felix. He shares the gospel with him. What did Felix say? I'll talk to you about this again later. He procrastinated. We talked about this. No decision is a decision when it comes to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. If you're not for him this morning, you are against him. He loves you, he died for you, and he desires you have a relationship with him. We then get to chapter 25, and, and there's a, you know, they want to attack him. And again, Paul stands trial before Festus, this new governor. He appeals to Caesar. Again, he stands before King Agrippa. And every single time he's brought before somebody, he doesn't say, I've been treated unfairly. He just says, praise God, here's somebody else I get to minister to. If you remember at one point, he was put under arrest for two years without accusation. And what did he do? He was chained up to somebody every six hours witnessing opportunity amen he's got a captive audience if you're chained up to paul you're going to get six hours of jesus i promise you right he's like dude you need to get saved the guy's like where's he going right i love getting on a plane on a long plane trip by the way and sitting down next to somebody because man you can you can you can share like the whole gospel of john on the long enough of a trip right And so he had a captive audience. He didn't say, man, I'm chained up, and God had promised me that I was headed. He'd never said that. He said, Lord, you put me here for a reason. Praise God. And then last week in chapter 27, if you'll remember, he went into a storm. And you remember what happened? He told the people, don't. Hey, guys, if we leave Fairhaven, we're going to hit huge storm, and it's not going to be pretty. Lives could be lost. And what do they do? They said, we don't need to listen to you. We've got the captain here. And the captain knows more than you do. We're going to disregard godly counsel, and we're going to go with worldly counsel. And that didn't work out too well, did it? They went out, and they they basically gave up hope of living. They thought their lives were over. And Paul began to be the one that went from being a prisoner on the ship to being the captain and telling them, guys, here's what we need to do. And we know that God delivered them. The ship was wrecked, and the ship was destroyed, but they all went to shore. And as it says there in chapter 27, some on board, so... They would have liked it in Santa Cruz, right? Surfers, right? Some on boards, made it into shore. And so that's where we come to in chapter 28. These guys are washing up on shore. They've been in this hectic storm. And, they're, and it's in the middle of winter, which means it's freezing cold outside. They've been out in the ocean. The storm's been kicking them around. They thought they were going to die. And now they wash up on shore. And as they do, we're going to see the one-track mind of Paul. Because we're going to see that in his one-track mind, and if you're taking notes this morning, that when someone has a one-track mind, these are attributes of someone with a one-track mind spiritually. Number one, they'll have a servant's heart. If you have a one-track mind toward Christ, you're going to esteem others greater than yourself, and you're going to desire to serve. If you have a one-track mind towards the Lord, you're not easily going to be shaken. You know what? The Bible says a double-minded man is tossed to and fro, right? But someone who's in love with the Lord, your walk ought to be more like this than like this. Amen? If your walk's like this, you need to get your eyes on the Lord. You need to get your eyes on the eternal and off the temporal. Number three, you'll be a walking testimony to God's power. Number four, you'll find fellowship to be a place of strength. Number five, you'll have a burden for your people. I'll go through these again as we get to them. And lastly, you'll boldly preach the gospel. So let's look at Acts 28, beginning in verse 1. They're washing up on shore. And as they get there, we're going to see again how God's going to use this this man with a one-track mind To reach out and minister to people when everybody else would think that it would be time for them to minister to him. But Paul was always looking to minister, not to be ministered to. Verse 1. Now, when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. Now, they washed washed up to shore on this island of Malta, they had escaped this major storm. In in spite of the fact they'd walked in disobedience, God speaks through Paul. They're saved. They wash up on shore. They're wet. They're soaking. They're cold. And again, he had told them the ship had to run aground. Remember what they did? He said, the ship must run aground for us to be saved. So what did they do? They threw out what? Four anchors. The ship must run aground so you can be saved. So the first thing they did was throw out four anchors. Too often, God wants to do something with us, and we want to throw out anchors. You know, Lord... I don't want to go through that trial. Just let me stay right where I'm at. And the Lord's saying, look, I want you to go through this that you might grow spiritually and I might use you for my kingdom. It's interesting that Malta in Greek means refuge. In the midst of the storm, God provided a refuge. If you're going through a difficult time right now, the word of the Lord is a strong tower, the Bible says. The righteous run into it and they're what? Amen. And so, as Christians... When we're going through a difficult time, may we run to the Lord, not run from Him. May we run to His Word and spend time in His Word that He may minister to our hearts. Verse 2. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. You know what? I'll be honest with you. I'm a pretty flexible guy. I don't like being cold. 110 is no problem for me. I don't like cold. Ask Pastor Bill. We have this. My my office is like the Bahamas, and his is like the North Pole. He cranks the AC, and I got the heater on in my office. You come to visit us, you're gonna just you're gonna face all the weather conditions walking through the office, right? <laughs> and the reality is, I don't like being cold. And I can't imagine you can imagine getting and I well in a way I can. I do baptisms in 51 degree water down there, and you get out and your legs are blue, and you know these guys are getting out and they're cold and it's been raining and and you know they've been tossed around in a storm and, and they're tore up. And can you imagine a more welcome sight than a huge bonfire? These guys ran over there. Oh, this is great. You know, stand as close as I can to this thing. Let my heart be warmed. And run to this blazing fire. Now, I want you to see something, though, as these 276 guys go up to the fire. I want you to see what Paul does. Now, this may seem like a minor thing, but I want to show you that this reflects the heart of Paul. This reflects the heart of someone with a one-track mind. Look what it says in verse 3. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, now let me ask you something. Have you been tossed to and fro in the ocean for 14 days? I told you my story last week. I was ripped after being out there for a day and a half of not good. Seasickness is no fun, all right? I've had it, not good, right? And can you imagine 14 days of that? I would, I would just probably fall out in the sand and lay there by that fire for about a week. And instead, what does Paul do? Paul goes out and starts gathering firewood. Again, heart of a servant. Always looking to serve. Always looking to minister. Not to be ministered to. Can I encourage you with something? If you are looking for a church and you're always looking for one that will minister to your every need, you will never find it. Amen? And if you're looking for the perfect church, you'll never find that either because as soon as you get there, you'll mess it up. Right? (laughs) I mean, we're all sinners, amen. No church can be perfect. Apart, you know. And so, what happens is, a lot of times people come to church and they, you know, they start giving you a laundry list. You know, people listen to us on the radio. We're on the radio five days a week, some, as some of you know. And they'll call us up and start giving us a laundry list of all their needs in a church. And and I'm gracious to them, and I love them, and I encourage them to come. But if they don't show up, it doesn't really hurt my feelings too much, because usually they're coming you know, what can you do for me? And here's the reality. We ought to come to be ministered too, but we also should be coming to be ministers. Amen? It's not the gifted few, it's the called many. And it's all of us. If you're born again, you've been called and God wants to use you. You have gifts I don't have. And Paul understood that. Paul was a servant. You know, he doesn't fall out in front of the bonfire, which I probably would have done. Instead, he goes and starts gathering firewood. Now, how is this deed rewarded? This guy's been a you know, 14 days in the water, and God's used him mightily. But look what happens as he goes out with the heart of a servant to minister to those who were there. Look what it says. He gathered, it says and he, gets, um, he gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, and a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. No good deed should go unpunished, right? Here he is going out with the heart of a servant, and he goes over to put the fire in the firewood, the firewood in the fire, and when he does, the heat causes a viper, a snake, to jump out and latch onto his hand. Now, if a viper grabs onto your hand, that's not good. They're poisonous snakes. It's usually followed by a quick death, right? here, Can you imagine he gets out of the storm, and he goes in, and he's being a servant, and a viper grabs onto his hand. And maybe sometimes you feel like that. You feel like you've been serving the Lord, and being faithful to God and just one trial after another. You get out of one trial and here comes another one. But you know what? God will use it for His glory if you will let Him. And Paul had been promised by God that he was going where? Where did he tell me he was going? To Rome. To Rome. Is he in Rome yet? No. Is he going to go to Rome? Of course he is because God told him he was going. And I want you to see Paul's reaction. Not only does he have the heart of a servant, but he understands and trusts the Word of God. He knows that what God says is absolutely true. So we'll see that another attribute of somebody who, again, has is, is got a one-track mind is not only does he have a heart of a servant, but he's not easily shaken by his circumstances. I truly believe one of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity, again, as I said a moment ago, is how we respond when things get tough. That's how, how it is. Now watch Paul. I love this guy. I'm gonna, I told you that I'm going to go hang out with the Lord for about... 500 million years, but then after that, I want to go hang out with Paul for a little, at least, hey, how you doing, man? I like this guy, because look what he does when a snake bites him. You you know, people talk about the, what's this guy, the crocodile hunter, whatever the guy is, right? He got nothing on Paul. Look at Paul. Look what he does here. Look at verse 4. So when the native creatures saw him hanging on his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. Now they say, "You know what? He escaped it, and justice was actually the name of one of their gods, and they said, "This God, the, the daughter of Zeus, is going to kill him because he must be a murderer or something. He washed up on shore, and it looks like he's escaped, and now the snake has bitten him, bit, bitten his hand, and you know what? No doubt, and again, that's how the world looks at things from a physical perspective. But watch Paul's response. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. I love this. Paul wasn't shaken by the snake. The snake was shaken by Paul. Amen? Grabs a hold of him, he's like, throws it in the fire. Who won that battle? Right? He might have, it doesn't say here, but maybe he had some roast snake after that, right? A little viper sandwich or something, right? But here, you know, again, the snake grabs a hold of him and he's not shaken by it. He doesn't panic. He doesn't run up and down the beach screaming, ah, right? Which I might have done. He doesn't do that. He just looks at it, shakes it off into the... Because he knows, God said, I'm going to Rome. I'm not there yet. This isn't going to be a problem for me. And throws it into the fire. And you know what? When you have a one-track mind, you're not easily shaken by your circumstances. If you're easily shaken by your circumstances, may you get your eyes on the Lord. I used to tell the youth group, I was a youth pastor, most you know, for almost 15 years. And when I used to tell my youth, I said, guys, in the four years I have with you, One of my main focuses and goals is to get your eyes from turning side to side and get you looking up. If I can just get you to stop worrying about what others think about you, get you to stop looking around and and having your eyes focus on the world and get your eyes on Jesus Christ, four years from now, I'm going to be blessed. And that's really where our heart needs to be and that's where Paul was. Paul didn't worry about his circumstances because he knew who was in control. And it's one thing to say God's in control and it's another to live like it. And Paul... did view things again through spiritual eyes. It says there that no harm would come to him. It's interesting in Mark 16. It was promised by Jesus when He was sending them out with the Great Commission. He says, And these signs will follow those who believe. In My name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. It will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is a fulfillment of Scripture. He went through a trial that Scripture might be fulfilled. Let me ask you a question. What happened to our Savior? Did He go through the ultimate trial? Amen? But it happened that Scripture might be fulfilled, that God might be glorified, that we might be able to be saved. Amen? And when we go through trials, we want to be Christ-like. We want to be servants of our Master. Blessed are you when they were vile and persecute you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. As we serve God, we're going to face the same things that our Savior faced, the same things that prophets like Paul faced. So number one attribute is a servant's heart. And number two is not easily shaken. Not easily shaken by what's going on in the world. Can I encourage you with something too? Is our world becoming more and more evil? There's no doubt, is there? You just pick up the paper every day. But here's the good news. Who's in control? God is, amen? And you can't vote God out of office, by the way. No matter, no matter what happens in November, God is still going to be God, and God is still going to be on the throne, and God still has us in Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, that we might be here to reach a lost and dying world with the truth, amen? I have people call me and say, Pastor Dave, what are you doing in Santa Cruz, man? What were you thinking when you went there? I said, well, I wasn't thinking, the Lord sent me, so I went, but here's the reality. What better place to take a halogen light than the darkest place around, Amen? And God's got us here. You're called, you're here. So God wants to use you to be salt and light to a county that so desperately needs the Lord. So a servant's heart, not easily shaken. In verse 6 through 10, we're going to see that a walking testimony to God's power. I'll tell you what, I love... Do you know, some of you have no idea what a blessing you are to me. I've seen some of you, when I met some of you in the recent months and recent years, some of you, when you came here, you didn't even know the Lord. Or maybe you've been walking with the Lord a short amount of time and I've watched you grow spiritually and I've watched you become contagious and I've watched you share your faith with boldness and I've watched you bring people to church and and I'll tell you what, it blesses me more than I can even tell you. I watch your testimony, it just grips my heart and I'm so thankful for you guys. And I think, man, how much more does the Lord love to see that testimony? And that's a sign of someone who's got that that one-track mind. You're a walking testimony. Lazarus. What happened to Lazarus? He what? He died, right? He was dead. And then he died he was in the ground for several days. And then Jesus showed up and said, Lazarus, come forth. And if he just said, come forth, every dead person on the planet would have got up, right? Because Jesus triumphed over sin and death. And Lazarus came hopping out in his grave clothes. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think Lazarus was a testimony the rest of his life, wherever he went? If you go to someone's funeral on Friday and they show up at work on Monday that's a testimony amen and you know what we're new creations in christ and we should be like lazarus we should be once i was dead but now i'm alive and everywhere we should go the power of god should be evident in the way that our lives have been transformed that's the sign of somebody with a one-track mind look at verse 6 It says however they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead but after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm in him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, is this the fickleness of men or what? A minute ago they said he's a murderer. He's really bad news. He's going to die any second. And then they said he's a god. Does that sound like a, a steady walk? These guys are tossed to and fro. One minute he's cursed, the next minute he's god. And I love Paul's heart, though. He's a man who is a walking testimony. Everywhere he went, it was evident that God had transformed his life. Verse 7. In that region, there was an estate of a leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us, entertained us courteously for three days. Now, it doesn't say here why he he received them into their house. Do you think that the word got back that this guy was bitten by a viper and didn't die? I think more than likely, dude. Publius, man, there's a dude down on the... on the, uh, the snake bit him. He shook it off in the fire and he's just walking around, man. Really? i got to meet this guy. Bring him in here. Walk in testimony everywhere he went. And look what he does. I love this because now he's going to be a blessing. And it happened, verse 8, that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and prayed. He laid hands on him and healed him. Now remember it said that those who believe on me, that serpents will have no power over them, but it also says they will lay hands on people. And so yet again, Paul is fulfilling Scripture. Would he have had a chance to fulfill Scripture if he hadn't gone through a storm? No. He wouldn't be on this island. He would have never met any of these people. And we need to learn to understand that when we go through trials, we go through them for a reason. Start looking around. God, why is this happening in my life? It can be something really minor. I was talking to one of the guys here, you know, my son, real minor, my son wanted to be on a certain little league team. It didn't work out, he's on another team. He was disappointed. But we prayed before the draft and I told him, I said, son, whatever team you're on, God wants you on that team for a reason. Amen? A little thing, right? To him it's huge because it's such a big part of his life. But I'll tell you what, already I've had a chance to share with some of the parents about Jesus Christ. God has him on that team for a reason, and he's not done with them yet. You might look around and think, why didn't this happen in my life? Why didn't this happen? Is God sovereign and in control of every aspect of your life? Absolutely. May we trust him, amen? May we learn, God, you're in control. You know what's best for me. May I learn to trust you completely. He, he washes up on shore in Malta. He gets bit by a snake. And Paul doesn't go, come on, Lord, kick me down some slack. Right? Can I have, you know, can I have a little break here? I mean they were trying to tear me apart and you know they stole me at Lystra and I'm in a day and night in the deep I get out I'm I'm just you know I'm gathering sticks to being a servant and a snake bites I mean come on Does Paul do that? Paul just says, "All right, Lord. Use this for your glory. Not my will but thy will be done." Verse 9 and 10. So when this was done the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. What's happening here? Paul's going to be here for a a, a very short amount of time. And during the time he's here, what does he do? He brings revival to the entire island. How did it start, though? A storm and a snake bite. It began without the storm, without the snake bite, the crowd would not have gathered. Publius probably would not have invited him back to his house, he would not have had an opportunity to heal his father. After his father was healed, the the word spread throughout the whole island. Now all the people who were sick were showing up, and none of that would have happened had there not been a storm and had there not been a snake bite. Too often we want to avoid the storm. We want to avoid the snake bite. We don't want to go through the difficulty. But understand that without a test, there can be no testimony. Amen? Without the trials, we will have no opportunity to be a reflection of Christ to a lost and dying world. And so praise God for the storms of life and praise God for the snake bites, understanding that God will use this if we will allow him. And Paul understood that. Why? Because he was a man with a one-track mind. So over the next three months, what does he do? He just starts healing everybody on the whole island. Everywhere Paul went, what do you think they were saying about him? Dude, God's with that guy. He's healing people. Snakes were biting him. He didn't die. You know, now I want to find out more about this guy, right? And again... That should be the way that we allow God to use us in a world that so desperately needs the Lord. He was a walking testimony to God's power. Those who had been ministered to, blessed those who ministered to them. Look what it says here in verse 10. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So the people have been blessed with Paul's presence for three months, the entire winter. They stayed there all winter long until it was time to move on. They're headed to Rome. And during that three months, Paul was an incredible blessing. And when it was time for him to go, the people all said, man, we want to bless you. Can I encourage you with something? Bless those who minister to you. Amen? Encourage them. I love to go up and tell people, man, you're a blessing to me. I just appreciate you. I appreciate our worship team. Amen? Because they they draw me into God's presence and ministry, and I appreciate them. They don't do it for me, they do it for the Lord, but I appreciate it, and I'm blessed by it. I'm blessed by Friday mornings when the different guys teach a Bible study, and they prepare, and they minister to my heart as they open up God's Word and teach me. I love it. And may we be an encouragement to those who minister to us. And the same is true here. Paul had been ministering to them, and they just wanted to bless Paul. They wanted to, to come alongside him and encourage him, and strengthen him as he headed on for more ministry nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God a shipwreck brought a divine appointment a snake in a fire brought an opportunity for him to minister to the entire island so attributes of a one-track mind number one a servant's heart number two not easily shaken by your circumstances and number three a walking testimony of God's power now Paul's finally gonna show up in Rome let's read on verse 11 through 15 and watch this watch one of the keys to Paul's walk. Sometimes we look at Paul and we think, how does, he, how does he do this? How does he continue to be so strong in his walk with God? I believe we're going to see one of the keys here in the next five verses. Look at verse 11. After three months we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was twin brothers which had wintered at the island. Now, interestingly enough, and this shows faith to me, they get right back on the same kind of ship that just wrecked. Right? Now, I'm thinking if you're in a little Cessna plane and it crashes, you're probably flying home in a jumbo jet or something, right? The, pl- the, the same kind of ship that just tore up and wrecked is the kind of ship they get on again. Why? Because Paul understood his faith wasn't in a ship, his faith's in God. Amen? And he knew it was in control. And he gets right back in the same kind of ship, and it's interesting that this ship had these twin brothers, the sons of Zeus, out on its head. It was the gods of the heathen sailors. But we know that that wasn't who Paul was placing his faith in. He's a prisoner. He doesn't really have a choice. But again, he obediently gets onto this ship. Verse 12. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed there three days. Now they move 80 miles south. They stayed there for three days. And according to tradition, during those three days, guess what Paul did while he was in this place? He founded a church. He was there three days. You've got to love this guy. He's there for three days. He's like, okay, divine appointment again. He's not like, all right, i got three days to nap. I can rest. Hey, you know what? We'll rest when we get to heaven, amen? Plenty of time to rest when we get there. And what does Paul do? He says, hey, divine appointment. He plants a church. He's only there three days. Praise God for men like Paul, a man with what? A one-track mind. Verse 13, from there we circled around the region, Regium, and after one day, the south wind blew, and, and next day we came to Petulio. Now, you go 70 miles on the first day to the southeast corner of Italy, and then now a 180-mile trip. Because of the wind, it only took them two days. And now they're finally coming near to his final destination. Verse 14, look what it says. When we found brethren, and were invited to stay with them seven days, and we went toward Rome. Verse 15, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as, as Api Forum and three ends. And when Paul saw them, I want you to note this, he thanked God and took courage. Now, the Api Forum is 43 miles from Rome. The three ends are 33 miles from Rome. This means that some of the, the brothers in Rome ran out to meet Paul. And when Paul's getting near to Rome, all of a sudden he looks up, and here are brothers and sisters in Christ meeting him to encourage him. And I'll tell you what, when Paul saw his brothers and sisters in the Lord, he thanked God and took courage. You know what, no matter where you are, isn't it refreshing to be around other Christians? You know, I've been in Russia, I'll never forget this, in 1992 I was in Russia, and the wall had yet to come down, and I'm in Russia, and I'm standing in this brand new Calvary Chapel, Moscow. It was awesome. Wasn't very many people there, but I'm singing a praise song, and there's this little babushka lady singing in Russian, And I'm over here singing in English and I'm weeping because I don't even I can't even speak to her, but we got Jesus in common. You know, I went to India just recently and standing with these guys, they're singing in one language, I'm singing in another, but we got Jesus in common. And I've built relationships with people in line at Magic Mountain. Amen? Guys got a Christian t-shirt on, and I mean you're 30. Bro, where do you go to church? Oh man, I go, God bless you. What's God doing in your life? And you're in line at Magic Mountain before you get to the front of the line, you got a relationship. Why? Because you got Jesus in common, and isn't it refreshing to be around Christians, amen? And you know what? It just breaks my heart when people don't pursue fellowship. I'm too busy. You know, Pastor, you don't understand my schedule. You know, we got, we got the ski boats, we got to get out a couple weekends a month, and we got this thing over here. And we're so, we're so busy pursuing the world, and then we wonder why. You know, I can't figure out why I'm struggling in my walk. I don't read my Bible. I can't find it. It's somewhere around here, right? <laughs> it's got some dust on it right I, I can't find my Bible I, I you know, I used to have some worship music in my car but I can't find that either and I was at church you know I go by once every two months or so and you know I'm just really struggling I can't figure out why if you only ate once every two months how strong would you be right and you pass by the fridge eight times a day and you're opening that thing up and making sure you get fed physically and the Bible says we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food amen Paul looked and saw brothers in the Lord and it refreshed him. Do you know that every time I come to church, you guys refresh me? You're an encouragement to me. Just hugging on you guys blesses me. I look forward to Sunday. I look forward to Wednesday. I'm blessed when someone comes walking into the office because we got Jesus in common. We're family. Amen? We're spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul saw that and he was refreshed. Look at that. You know, Paul was a mighty man of God, but he needed to be refreshed too, he needed to be encouraged. He needed guys to come alongside him and, and encourage him in his walk. You know what? When you gather with God's people, you truly do feel at home. Fellowship is one of the key elements of spiritual growth. The Bible says that forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. As we get closer to Christ's return, should we be gathering less and less or more and more? More and more. Again, church should be a get-to, not a have-to. Right? we am going to go to church a drag guy's gonna talk for a long time too (laughs) sunny outside you know what I mean got them hard chairs up in there you know right and here's the reality though it should be such a get to it should be such a joy and it's a reflection of our heart when church is a drudgery and a bummer if it's a drudgery and a bummer then boy Lord check my heart he loves to meet you here you should love to meet him here amen that's and Paul was refreshed and he was encouraged and again, a servant's heart, not easily shaken, a walking testimony of God's power, and strengthened in fellowship. Verses 16-22, through 22, we're going to see that someone with a single purpose, the one-track mind, has a burden for his people. Look at verse 16. And it says there, Wait a minute, let me go back and read 15, yeah, 16. Now when we had come to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was to, permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Guess what this is? Paul was placed under house arrest, and guess what happened again? He had a different guard chained to him every six hours. Was Paul bummed? No. Sweet. New mission field. New set of guards. All right, bring them on in. What's your name? Oh, man, Let's begin at Genesis, right? Let's just let me take you right through the Word. I'm going to tell you all about Jesus, right? And that's what he could. And again, what an opportunity! And again, trials are an opportunity for the gospel. It's not something we should be bummed about. It's something we should be blessed by. Again, it's interesting. Later in some of the letters, we see that it says, "And the saints in Caesar's house greet you." How did saints get into Caesar's house? I think it's these guards, right? Paul's witnessing to them. They're getting saved. They're going home and telling their family. He's starting revival one person at a time. You know, start with the guy in the cubicle next to you. Start with your next door neighbor. You know, we don't have to be Billy Graham and pack a stadium with 50,000 people. Start one at a time, amen? Just reach out, love on them. Preach to them. That's what Paul did. That ought to be our heart. Paul had a one-track mind, verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was uh, uh, compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I might, not that I had anything to which to accuse my nation. He said, the reason I'm here is not because I have an accusation against anybody, I'm here because it's all part of God's plan God brought me here I have no accusation to to make I've done nothing wrong but it's God's divine appointment God's divine will and look who he goes first who does he always go to first Paul who does he go to first every time he gets to a new city who does he go to the Jews every time because he has a burden for his brothers the guys that you know he had studied at the feet of Gamaliel he was the Jew of all Jews and he had a burden for the Jews and he always went to them first but when they wouldn't receive him, he would shake the dust from his feet and move on. Verse 20. For this reason therefore I have called to you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. So why is he in chains? Because of his of the hope of Israel. What or who is the hope of Israel? It's Jesus. It's the Messiah. What are the Jews, those of you who are going to Israel in 10 days? Those of you who are going with us. And you know what? When you get there, guess what you're going to see? They're still waiting for the hope of Israel. Let me tell you if you don't know. He's already come. Amen? And he's your hope and my hope too. And he says, the reason I'm chained up is because I'm following the Messiah. Because I have found him. Because of my relationship with him. You know what? If you're being chained up because of your relationship with Christ, then praise God. Chuck Smith recently at the pastor's conference, you know, he, said, uh, he said, you know, they're saying now they may make it a hate crime to speak against homosexuality even in churches. And he said, if they do that, then you better put a, better put a file in my cake and send it down to the jail because I'm not going to stop preaching the truth. Amen? And here's the reality. We need to speak the truth and trust that God's in control and know that He's faithful. And if we're in chains because we're speaking the truth of the gospel, then bring on the chains. And Paul said, I'm in chains because of my relationship with Christ. Because I'm being being identified with Him. Paul's only crime was being linked to Jesus. Again, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. Verse 21. Then they said to Him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who have came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect... We know that it's spoken against everywhere. You know what? Isn't this interesting? What was the common thing about Christianity in the first century when the church first started? What were they doing? Everybody was speaking what? Against, against it. Is everybody speaking against it today? Big time. Nothing new under the sun. Amen? You know what? If somebody's speaking against what you're doing, then you must be doing something right. Now, again, doing it in love, not standing on a box with a blow horn and you know, screaming at people. Because truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy, and that's why we must speak the truth in love. Amen? Do it in a loving way, do it in a kind way, do it in a gracious way, but speak the truth. And he's saying, they're saying, look, everywhere we know that the Christians are being spoken of against. They knew Christian faith had been associated with and spoken against everywhere. And again, it's still true today. People either accept Christ or they reject Him. They're either speaking for Him or speaking against Him. Can I encourage you something? I'm praying hard that we get the Bible back in school. Amen? Do we need the Bible back in our schools? Go walk around on a campus sometime and come back and tell me what you think. You know, you can have posters for everything under the sun, but you can't talk about Jesus. Man, we need to get Jesus Christ back on campus. And let me encourage you, if you've got kids in public school, you encourage them to be the salt in the light of that campus. And not to be ashamed of the Lord. If my kids ever came home being suspended from public school for talking about Jesus, they're not getting in trouble. They're getting a high five. (laughs) Amen? Kids used to come to me in youth group and say, Pastor Dave, they won't let us pray at school. You know what I tell them? Pray anyway. They won't let us take your Bible. Take your Bible anyway. Just, you know, I had a boss one time. "You You can't be praying at work, Dave. Uh, yeah, I can. And I'm gonna. You know what I mean? You need to fire me. Go for it. You know, I'm not... We're not, you know, yellow-page salesmen or contractors or, or whatever job you have that happen to be Christians. We're Christians who happen to do our job. Amen? We're Christians first. And don't tell me to stop talking about my Savior. You can't tell a Christian to stop praying. It's like telling them to stop breathing. Telling a Christian to stop sharing his faith is like telling him to stop. You can't. It's impossible. You can't separate me from Jesus. If you're in love with... Can you imagine telling Paul that? Paul, you've got to stop talking about the Lord. I often wonder if Paul was in like McDonald's, what would he do? <laughs> he'd be standing up on the table. You know he would, right? He'd be like on the table, you know what? Let me share with you about the love of Jesus Christ. They Chain that guy to me, right? That's what he'd be doing. And may we have that same heart and that same eternal focus and be looking at those around us as an opportunity for the gospel. So, someone with a one-track mind has a servant's heart, is not easily shaken is a walking testimony, fellowship is a source of strength, and he has a burden for people. And the last point is he boldly and openly preaches the gospel. He uses God's word to point people to Christ. Look at verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging. Now, do you think Paul loves this or what? They all said, we're all going to come and hear from you. Paul's like, right on, right? This is going to be great. You think Paul was praying? Then he was Lord, help me, right? Lord, I want to have an opportunity to share with these guys. Now, what does he do? Look what it says. It says there, many came at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. You thought I talked a long time. They showed up and look what happens from the law and the prophets. So what what do we call that today? The Old Testament, right? So Paul, using the Old Testament, spoke from morning till evening about Jesus. If you've been coming on Wednesday night, is Jesus in every chapter of the Old Testament or what? Every one. He's in every chapter. You can't help but see it. And Paul gets up and this crowd comes in and and he takes him to the law and the prophets and he begins to speak about Jesus. Now, I don't know what all he said, but let me just give you a couple things that I'm sure he brought up. It says in in Micah 5, 2, that the Messiah would be born where? In Bethlehem. It says in Isaiah 7 that he would be born of a virgin. It says in Genesis 49 that he would be of the tribe of Judah. It says in Isaiah 11 he would be descended from Jesse and David. Who fulfills all of those? Jesus Christ. What about if he started talking to him about Passover? What is Passover a picture of? You had to take a firstborn spotless lamb. The lamb's blood had to be shed. They then had to take the blood and apply it to the doorpost in the shape of what? Of the cross. And the angel of death would pass over and they would be delivered if the blood of the lamb was applied to their doorpost in the shape of a cross. It's not enough for us just to believe in Christ. The blood of the lamb must be applied to our lives. Amen? If they just brought the lamb in and even if they slit the blood of the the animal, they still needed to apply it. And it must be applied to your life. And he's, again, pointing him to Passover and going, that's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. What if he took him to the tabernacle? He could march him right through the tabernacle and say, the golden lampstand. You know what that's a picture of? Jesus is the light of the world. Amen? The table of showbread. Who's the bread of life? Jesus Christ. The bronze altar. Who's the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? The, the altar of incense, who intercedes on our behalf daily? He, he could take him right through the tabernacle. What if he took him through the sacrifices? Every sacrifice pointed to Jesus Christ. He then could take him and, and move on past the sacrifices to the firstborn, spotless lamb and go to Daniel chapter 9. If you've never looked at this, I don't want to take too much time, but in Daniel chapter 9, it says and there'll be 69 sevens or 77s. sevens. And, 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 breaks down to 483 years from the time of the command to rebuild the temple until the Messiah comes in to Jerusalem, the time of the prince. On March 14th, 445 B.C., Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah the command to rebuild the temple. 173,880 days later, just like the Bible said, That comes out to April 6, 32 AD. Guess who came riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey? Jesus Christ. I know that was part of this message. Now, can you imagine from morning until evening, he's just taking the Old Testament going, here's Jesus, here's Jesus again, here he is again, here he is again. Here he is again. He's talking to Jews. They know the Old Testament. He's preaching Jesus Christ. Man, you got to love it. I'd love to have a tape of that message. How about you? (laughs) Amen? Give me that one. I'll put that in my car and leave that CD running, right? I mean, what a blessing. But again, that's God's Word. You know what? All other gods that people talk about are dead. There's no foundation for them. Muhammad's dead and Buddha's dead. They're all dead. But Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior. And every page of this Bible points to Him. And He fulfilled it all. That's the God we serve. Amen? Shouldn't we be excited about that? And that means we can believe what we've read so far. Guess what's coming, guys? You look, read Revelation. When it's over, we win. Amen? We win. He's coming back. We're going to heaven. When you get downtrodden, remember, the Lord loves you and He's coming back. I love this. It also says in Zechariah, He'd come in on the back of a donkey. It says in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. In Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament, the crucifixion was clearly pictured hundreds of years before the crucifixion existed. How is this possible? Because God wrote it and Jesus Christ is God. Amen. No other, there's no other prophet that you can, that decided where he was going to be born. How many of you decided where you were going to be born? Raise your hand. You can't decide that unless you're God. Amen. How many of you were born of a virgin? I don't think so. Right? (laughs) Didn't happen. Someone's lying if they ever told you that. So here's the reality. Look at our God and look at how clearly the Old Testament points to him. And you see Paul going, hey, let me tell you guys all about my Savior let me tell you about Jesus. Does Paul have a one-track mind? This guy has one focus, one passion, one heart, one desire. Do we need more Apostle Pauls today? We need more people with a one-track mind, a fanatic, right? You can't change his mind, and he won't change the subject, and that's the Apostle Paul. Almost done. Verse 24, And some were persuaded by the things which we had spoken, and some disbelieved. So some believed and received by faith, and others didn't. And I want to encourage you with something. God has called us to share our faith, but you can't save anybody. Did you know that? I don't care how eloquent your argument is if I just tied down that objection better. No, just love them, pray for them, share the gospel. The Holy Spirit must do the work. You can't do it. All right? But share your faith. That's what Paul did. Verse 25, so when they did not agree among themselves, everywhere Paul went, what happened? Dispute. Dispute. Most of you know, I was on Channel 8 News last a week ago, Friday, and they interviewed me about the whole homosexual marriage thing. And I, had a, I was talking to a pastor on the phone before they interviewed me who told me not to, to let him interview me because it would only cause division if I spoke out against homosexuality and I shouldn't do it. And I'm like, bro. And he goes, I'm not even sure what Jesus would have to say. About it, and I'm like, I know what he would say about it, dude. Do you have a Bible? You know, blows my mind sometimes. I'm talking to this guy. You got you, dude. You're outside your mind. What's wrong with you? But here's the thing: when Paul went places, was there disputes? Again, never self-righteous, never talking down. We hate the sin and we love the sinner. Amen. Love them. I love the homosexuals, but I don't like their sin, just like I love adulterers and fornicators and sinners like me, amen, I'm a sinner, Paul said he was the chief of sinners, but we don't condone sin, amen, and Paul, everywhere he went, disputes arose, and you know, if we're going to have an impact on Santa Cruz County, we're not going to water down the gospel and start tickling ears so we can draw a crowd, amen, let's preach it, all of us, people need Jesus desperately, amen, and we have the truth, we got the antidote to the death serum, right, Everybody's dying. There's a cancer and it's called sin. And the result of sin is always the same, death. And you know what God gave us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ? He gave us the antidote to the death serum of sin. And all we have to do is take it and sin has no power over us anymore. We're new creations in Christ and we're <laughs> heaven bound, as DC Talk would say. Amen? And praise God. And we need to be excited about that. And Paul certainly was. Why? Because he was a man with one-track mind. Verse 26, Verse the rest of 25, excuse me. Paul spoke one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. This is a harsh word to his brothers, isn't it? He, said, he quotes the Old Testament again, and he says, Guys, you rejecting the word is a fulfillment of prophecy, because it's said in the Bible that you would do just that. And now I'm going to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and aren't you glad he did? Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Right? I'm, th- I'm thankful that the gospel has come to us. Verse 29. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Verse 30. Then Paul dwelt two more years in a rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Paul's under arrest for two more years. Has he been accused of anything yet? Nothing. He's been in jail for at least four years. He's been on ships. They they haven't even tried to press charges against him. And does he complain? Is he calling Johnny Cochran? Dude, man, if it doesn't fit, must have quit, right? I mean, he's saying, I didn't do anything. Bring someone down here to get me out. You know what Paul does? He said, Lord, you put me here. Lord, you'll take me out of here. And as long as I'm here, I'm going to preach Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. You know what else he did while he was sitting there for two years? I mean, he had some free time, so you know what he did? Let me tell you what he did. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Is this a guy that's got a one-track mind? He's not sitting in prison going, man, Lord, I can't believe you just dissed me like this and left me here. He said, Lord, you got me here for a reason. I got a captive audience I get to minister to, and I'm going to sit down, and your Holy Spirit's going to speak through me, and I'm going to write letters to your churches to encourage them in their walk with you. Letters that we're still reading 2,000 years later. Paul had a one-track mind. God used him mightily. May we be men and women with a one-track mind. May we be so in love with the Lord that nothing else matters, that nothing else compares, that we live and breathe to point people to Him. So one-track mind, in closing. Servant's heart, not easily shaken. Walking testimonies of God's power. Fellowship being a source of strength and blessing. A burden for, for God's people, a burden for the people that are around us and speaking boldly the gospel. Acts began in Jerusalem. It moved on to Judea, Samaria, and it ends in Rome. What's that a fulfillment of? The Great Commission. Isn't that what he told them to do? So in Acts, what have we seen? We've seen a church that radically is turning the world right side up. What did they have in that church that made it so radical? They had the Holy Spirit. It was a Christ-centered church, not a program-centered church. They weren't driven by programs and games. They didn't have the Flying Walendas there on Wednesday night. Bozo the Clown wasn't in the parking lot handing out Big Macs or whatever, right? What did they do? They were pointing people to Christ. And they had a passion for God. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that the same thing that should be happening with us today? They repaid persecution with kindness. They didn't overcome evil with evil. They overcame evil with good. They had a supernatural love for one another. They lived separate from the world, in it but not of it. They counted it a privilege to suffer for the cause of Christ. And it was all possible because of Acts one eight that says, You shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Amen? May we decrease that the Holy Spirit within us might increase, that we might be single-minded, that we might see Santa Cruz County turn right side up for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that the same... Holy Spirit that indwelt Paul, the same Spirit of the living God can indwell every single one of us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Father God, to be men and women with a one-track mind. Lord, that our heart and our mind and our passion and our focus would be on things eternal. But Lord, while we do our jobs as unto you, we do them in a way that honors you, but Lord, at the same time, we look at every day as an opportunity for the gospel. We look at every person we come into contact with as a potential opportunity to share with them the love of God. Lord, may we see the world through your eyes. May we love people the way you love them. May we not be bummed out in the midst of trials, but may we see them as divine appointments and know, Lord, that you can use them for your glory if we will simply let you. Father, I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to be upon us all. Lord, I just thank you and praise you. Lord, we lift up Santa Cruz County, bring revival and start in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.